Chapter 23 A frightening silence. Everyone seemed to freeze as if caught in a snapshot. A snapshot of horror. The fire popped noisily in the fireplace. Someone screamed. The room came back to life. Becca was one of the first to scramble across the room to Trish. Trish had landed face down, her chest on top of the cake. The dark icing and cream filling had splattered out across the floor. Trish didn't move. Her eyes were closed. Her head was tilted at a peculiar angle. Becca raised her hands to her face, trying to stifle a scream. Voices rang out, frightened voices. Is she breathing? Don't move her. Is she awake? How did she fall? Someone call 911. Where's the phone? Dave is already calling. Somebody call her parents. Don't move her. Her heart pounding, Becca leaned over her unmoving friend. Trish, she said, her voice trembling. Trish, can you hear me? Silence. Becca realized her knees were in the gooey white cake filling, but she didn't care. Trish's head, it was tilted wrong. It shouldn't be bent like that, she saw. She had the strong urge to take it in both hands and straighten it. She had the urge to turn Trish around, to sit her up, to hug her. Trish? Silence. Behind her, Becca heard kids crying. The room filled with confused, frightened voices. Did she fall? Is she getting up? Did you call 911? Are her parents home? Where are they? Several kids clustered around Trish in a tight circle, huddling over her, speaking in hushed, frightened tones. The fire crackled noisily. Becca's eyes wandered to the top of the stairs. Honey! She was still standing on the landing, gripping the banister with one hand. She hadn't moved. She was staring down at them all, a strange expression on her face. Honey pushed Trish. The words flashed into Becca's mind, sending a cold chill down her back. She stared intently up at Honey. Yes, Honey pushed Trish. It took Honey a while to realize that she was being watched. As soon as she noticed Becca staring up at her, she rearranged her expression and started to descend the stairs. I tried to catch her, Honey cried, tears suddenly glistening in the corners of her eyes. I tried, but I wasn't fast enough. Other kids, huddled around Trish, turned their attention to Honey as she made her way slowly down the stairs, tears running down her cheeks. I asked her to let me help carry the tray, Honey told them through her tears. It was so heavy, but she said she had it, and then I saw her start to fall. I grabbed for her. I really did. If only I had been faster. If only... Her voice trailed off, replaced by a loud sob. No, Becca thought bitterly. No, you pushed her, Honey. You pushed Trish to get back at me. You pushed Trish. But have you killed her? She's breathing funny, Dina Martinson's voice broke into Becca's thoughts. Becca turned to see that Dina was leaning over Trish, her ear nearly lowered to Trish's face, breathing hard. But she's breathing? A girl asked from near the fireplace. She's breathing, but it's noisy. Like it's hard for her, Dina reported. Where's the ambulance? Someone asked. Did you call? I called 911, came David Metcalf's voice. I called right away. They should be here. I don't hear any sirens, someone said. It's snowing out. Maybe they're having trouble, David offered. Do we know where her parents are? A girl asked. Becca stared down at Trish's unmoving body. Again, she had the strong urge to turn Trish over, to make her more comfortable. Trish's entire body shuddered. Becca cried out. So did several others. But Trish didn't open her eyes. Her breathing was loud and irregular now. Suddenly, Becca felt an arm around her shoulders. Expecting to see Bill, she turned. Honey! It'll be okay, Becca, Honey whispered, bringing her face close to Becca's. It'll be okay, I'm here. Honey uttered a loud sob. Her face was wet with tears. Her arm was heavy on Becca's shoulder. 
You still have a friend, Honey whispered. I'm right here. I won't go away. I'm still here. No, Becca screamed. Several other kids cried out in surprise. Becca shoved Honey away and climbed to her feet. No, I have to get away, Becca thought. Away. She ran blindly to the front door, pulled it open, and burst outside. Into two black uniformed police officers. Whoa, one of them cried out, more surprised than Becca. Where are you going? The other one demanded. Gulping for air, Becca took a step back. I, I don't know, Becca stammered. She retreated into the hallway. Everything was a blur, a frightening, spinning blur. The two officers, shaking snow off their caps, followed her in. What's happened here? One of them asked. Becca suddenly felt dizzy, dizzy and weak, too dizzy to stand, too weak to take any more of this. She did it, Becca screamed, pointing a shaky finger at Honey. Honey pushed her. Honey pushed Trish. Becca saw Honey's eyes open wide in shock and disbelief. And then everything went white, as white as the falling snow. And then, as Becca fell, everything went black. Chapter 24 Becca opened her eyes. She blinked several times, waiting for her eyes to adjust to the bright light. Where am I? she wondered. She tried to sit up. Her back ached. Her arms felt weak. Have I been sleeping long? she wondered. The dresser came into focus. Then her dressing table, cluttered with makeup and assorted junk. Dirty clothes were tossed over the chair in front of it. I'm in my own bedroom, she realized. I'm home. But how? She heard muted voices nearby. She recognized her mother's voice, a loud whisper. She didn't recognize the man's voice until his face came into view, Dr. Klein. He and her mother were huddled in the doorway, talking softly, intent, serious expressions on their troubled faces. They both turned toward her as Becca struggled to sit up. Well, good morning, her mother called with false brightness. She hurried over to the bed. Dr. Klein followed right behind her. Morning, Becca yawned. How did it get to be morning? What day is this? Sunday? Mrs. Norwood said, forcing a smile as she stared down at Becca, studying her. You've been asleep for quite a while. Asleep? Your father and I brought you home from the party, her mother said, chewing her bottom lip. Right, the party, Becca said groggily. Suddenly, the horror came back to her, sharp as a knife stab. Trish, is she? She broke her neck, Mrs. Norwood said, her voice catching. But she's alive. Oh, Becca cried out. The ceiling started to tilt. She slumped back on her pillow. You've had quite a shock, Dr. Klein said, his voice professionally soft. A terrible shock. Becca closed her eyes. I remember the police, but then... You passed out, Dr. Klein said, his narrow, mustache face expressionless. The ceiling light reflected off his balding head. The shock was too overwhelming, no doubt. You had to escape. But you're going to be okay, Becca's mother added quickly, nodding her head for emphasis, as if trying to persuade herself. Dr. Klein says you're going to be fine. I'd like you to get complete rest, the doctor said, shifting his weight, fiddling with the buttons on his gray pinstriped vest. Stay in bed for a few days. But I'm not sick, Becca protested. Dr. Klein started to reply, but the phone on Becca's bedside table rang. Mrs. Norwood quickly picked it up after the first ring. She turned her back to Becca and muttered a few replies, too low for Becca to hear. Then she replaced the receiver. That was honey, she said, turning back to Becca. She just wondered how you were feeling. She's been calling all morning. No! Becca uttered a long, painful howl. Dr. Klein moved quickly to the bed, his face filled with concern. Are you okay? Does something hurt? Don't let Honey call, Becca wailed, gripping her sheet with both hands. I won't talk to her. I won't. I hung up. See? Mrs. Norwood protested, pointing to the phone. 
she raised her eyes to the doctor as if asking him to step in. As you can see, Dr. Klein began slowly, you are still very troubled by what took place at the party. Don't let Honey call, Becca interrupted. Okay, I'll tell her not to call, her mother replied, her eyes on the doctor. No calls, Dr. Klein agreed. I think that's a good idea, Becca. No calls, just complete rest. You can go downstairs for meals if you feel like it. You want to get some exercise. You don't want to let yourself get too weak, but don't go out. Don't see anyone. I'm going to prescribe some pills to help relax you. Pills? Mild tranquilizers, he said. He picked up his bag. You think I'm crazy? The words tumbled out of Becca's mouth. Of course not, Mrs. Norwood immediately protested. I think you've been through something really terrifying, Dr. Klein said thoughtfully. Speaking frankly, which is what we doctors are supposed to do these days, I think you're in a mild state of shock. I think a few days of total rest will probably see you getting back to normal. Mrs. Norwood followed him to the door. I'll check back tomorrow, he said. Call the office if you need anything at all. Becca heard him clomp down the stairs. A short while later, her mother returned, nervously pushing back a strand of hair from her forehead, a forced smile on her face. You'll be fine, she said, smoothing her hand over Becca's forehead. Feel like eating anything? I could bring you up something on a tray. Becca shook her head. No thanks, Mom. I feel kind of sleepy, actually. Becca drifted into a deep sleep. For the next few days, she drifted in and out of consciousness, spending very little time awake. Her sleep was deep and dreamless, and she awoke feeling tired and not at all refreshed. One evening, her mother entered to find Becca sitting up in bed, crying about Trish, tears rolling down her cheeks, dropping onto her coverlet. That's it, Mrs. Norwood said softly, tenderly placing a hand on Becca's shoulder. Let it out. Let those feelings out, dear. Then you'll feel better. Becca cried and cried. She cried till she had no tears left, but she didn't feel better. The next afternoon found her feeling a little stronger. Her appetite had returned, and she had eaten an enormous lunch. She had talked to both Trish and Lila on the phone. Her friends were in the same wing of Shadyside General, almost across the hall from each other. Lila sounded bored, eager to get out. It was taking a long time for her shattered leg to heal. Trish sounded weak and very depressed. She had told Becca that she had no memory of what had happened. One moment, she was at the top of the stairs. The next, she was in the hospital. As Trish talked, Becca could hear the pain in her voice. If only there was something I could do to stop this nightmare, thought Becca, feeling alone and helpless. Becca promised to go see them as soon as she was allowed. Later that afternoon, she was back in bed, reading a book, the radio on low in the background, when her mother entered, dressed to go out. I'll be back in less than an hour, she said fretfully, pulling out a glove. You'll be okay, won't you? Of course, Becca told her. No problem. How do you feel? Mrs. Norwood asked. She asked the question twenty times a day. Kind of sleepy, Becca admitted. I didn't think it was possible for a person to sleep so much. Becca said it lightly, but her mother's fretful expression turned more serious. It's good for you, she said. I'll be right back, okay? You stay in bed. Go back to sleep. Don't worry about me, Becca said, yawning. She closed the book and let it drop to the floor. Yawning, she listened to her mother pad down the stairs. A few seconds later, the front door slammed. A few seconds after that, Becca heard the car start up and back down the drive. Suddenly, Becca felt a wave of sadness sweep over her. It's the pills, she thought. The pills are depressing me, making me feel sad. No, she argued with herself. It's not the pills. It's me. It's my life. My life is so sad. So very, very sad. Where are my friends? She cried aloud, feeling herself start to tremble. Where are my friends? All hurt. All in the hospital. All gone. She pulled the covers up to her chin. 
feeling so sad, feeling sleepy and heavy, as if she weighed a thousand pounds, and shaky, and sad, and just as she was drifting off into another deep sleep, the phone rang. Chapter 25 No phone calls. Becca heard Dr. Klein's words. The phone rang a second time. Don't answer it, she thought. I'm too sad to answer it. A third ring. She wondered why her mother didn't pick it up. And then she remembered her mother had gone out. I'm not thinking too clearly, Becca realized. I'm too sad to think clearly. A fourth ring, jangling loudly in Becca's ear. She picked up the receiver. Hello? Her voice escaped, soft and timid. Hi, Becca, is that you? It's Honey. Oh. She uttered the word wearily, not surprised. I'm too sad to talk to you, Honey. I'm too sad because of you. I've been thinking about you, Honey said cheerfully. Becca didn't reply. The phone receiver felt so heavy in her hand. Why am I holding on to it, she asked herself. Why don't I just drop it back down? I'm not thinking clearly at all. Becca, are you still there? Honey asked impatiently. Yeah. You weren't very nice to me, Becca. Not very nice at all. But I have a nice surprise for you, Honey said, giggling. Why is she so happy? Becca wondered grudgingly. She felt cold all over, cold and trembly, and so sad. Why is Honey so happy while I'm so sad? Can you come over? Honey asked eagerly. Huh? Come over, Honey urged. Just for a second. Just to see the nice surprise I have. You'll like it, Becca. Really? No, Becca told her. The room tilted and swayed. She shut her eyes to make it stop. No, I can't. You have to, Honey insisted. You'll like this surprise, Becca. Put on your coat. Run over for just a second. You'll be glad. Really? No, I can't. I'm too sad. Too sleepy. Too heavy. Becca heard another voice in the background. A boy's voice. Bill? Was that Bill she heard? Was Bill over at Honey's? Why? Please hurry, Honey urged. Okay, she told Honey. Okay, I'll come. Just this once. Just for a minute. Oh, good, Honey exclaimed. I have something to show you. A big surprise. As if in a trance, Becca lifted herself from her bed. The room tilted and swayed. She held on to the dresser top to study herself. Her heart pounded. It wasn't Bill, she said aloud. It couldn't be Bill. I imagined Bill's voice. Bill would never go to Honey's house. But she had to make sure. I'm only staying a second, she thought. I told Honey. Only a second. And then I'm never seeing her again. Never talking to her again. She pulled on her terry cloth robe. Then she slipped into her sneakers. No need to get dressed, she thought. I'm only going out for a second. She peeked out the window. Snow covered the ground. The late afternoon sky was charcoal gray. Threatening clouds hovered low over the rooftops. The snow appeared shiny and hard as ice. It's been on the ground a long time, Becca thought, staring down at it. I haven't looked outside all week. Isn't that strange? I haven't seen the sky. Haven't seen the snow. Haven't looked outside even once. What's wrong with me, she wondered. Why do I feel so strange? Why don't I feel like me? She made her way unsteadily down the stairs and stopped at the front closet to get her coat. Then, slipping it over her shoulders, pulling the drawstring of her robe, she headed out the back door. It was colder outside than she had imagined. Becca zipped up the coat and, bending into the wind, made her way over the hard, slippery snow. She crossed her backyard behind the garage, stepped between an opening in the scraggly hedge, and entered Honey's backyard. Shivering, she hurried toward the back door. She stopped a few yards from the house as two figures came into sharp focus through the kitchen window. No! Becca screamed in horror. Oh, no! Chapter 26 a thin layer of frost covered Honey's kitchen window. 
But the bright light inside the kitchen allowed Becca a clear view of the two people seated at the yellow formica table. Standing in the snow, her sneakers unlaced, her trembling hands bare, Becca gaped at them open-mouthed. There was Honey, smiling across the table, wearing Becca's hairdo. Taking a step closer, Becca recognized her best green sweater on Honey, with the enamel parrot pin at the neck. And sitting across from Honey, smiling warmly across the table, was Bill. Were they holding hands? Becca couldn't see. Something snapped in Becca's mind. Everything went white, as white as the ice-hard snow at her feet. Everything went cold, as cold as the wind that tried to push her away from the back door. But Becca refused to be pushed away. She can't have Bill too, she shrieked, against the wind. The words burst out in an angry, high-pitched wail. She's taken everything from me, Becca thought bitterly, seized with fury. Everything. But she can't take Bill. She can't. Her eyes blurred by hot tears. Becca grabbed the knob on the back door, turned it, and pushed. Panting loudly, she burst into the bright kitchen. Panting. Panting like an angry animal, she glared at them. Sitting there together, the two of them, smiling. Together in the bright, warm kitchen. No! Becca wailed. Her eyes searched frantically for something. She didn't know what. Something. There it was. The wooden knife holder on the counter. The wooden knife holder with the large, black-handled kitchen knives. Becca, surprise! Honey called gleefully gesturing to Bill. She started to get up from the table, but stopped halfway when she saw Becca pull the knife from the holder. The blade glistened in the bright kitchen light. Bill's smile faded quickly. His eyes opened wide with surprise. Honey remained frozen, half in the chair, half out. Becca? What? Honey didn't finish her sentence. She swallowed hard, then uttered a frightened cry of protest as Becca raised the knife high. No, Becca, stop! But Becca was screaming too loud to hear her screaming as she flew across the room, screaming out her fury as she lunged toward Honey with a knife aimed at Honey's chest. Chapter 27 Kill, Becca thought. I'm going to kill Honey. I have to kill her. Kill her. Kill her. Then I'll be happy again. So happy. But halfway across the kitchen floor, Becca stopped short. The whirling, tilting room dimmed to black. She uttered a low groan. Weak. I feel so weak. I feel so totally weak. Her eyes rolled up and she slumped to the floor. She hit the floor hard and didn't move. She didn't see the knife bounce out of her hand. She didn't see Bill jump up from the table. You told me Becca knew I was here, he shouted angrily at Honey. You told me she was coming over to see me. He moved quickly to see if he could help Becca, but Honey pulled him back. Stay away from her, she cried, her eyes wild with excitement. She's my friend. Are you crazy, Bill shouted, wrenching out of Honey's grasp. She's fainted. She might have hurt herself. We have to do something. Stay away, Honey repeated, her voice lowering with menace. She's my friend, my best friend. Becca groaned, but didn't awaken. Her large hand trembling, Honey picked up the big kitchen knife from where it had landed on the floor near the counter. Standing over Becca's unmoving body, she threatened Bill with it. You're crazy, he cried, fear suddenly mixing with the anger in his voice. Put that down. What are you doing? Stay away from my best friend, Honey instructed him, her features twisted in ugly fury. With a rapid swipe of his arm, Bill made a grab for the knife. He grabbed onto the handle just above Honey's hand. Let go, she screamed. Drop it, Honey. They wrestled for only a moment. Honey bumped him away with her shoulder. As he stumbled back, he made a desperate attempt to hold onto the knife. But Honey had it now. Catching his balance, Bill surged forward, reaching, reaching for it, and tumbled into the knife. The blade pierced his chest. Startled, Honey uttered a shrill cry. It took her a few seconds to pull the knife out. 
A bright circle of blood spread across the front of Bill's sweatshirt. Hey, he rasped, his voice a hoarse whisper. A loud, sickening gurgle escaped his open lips. Um, cut. He raised his eyes to Honey's, and they revealed his disbelief, his horror. He groaned, then slumped face down beside Becca onto the linoleum. The blood puddled around him, spreading out over the floor. He's dead, Honey realized. He's dead, and his blood is so bright. Becca stirred. She groaned. Her entire body shuddered. Honey forced her eyes away from the blood flowing around Bill. Now what, Honey thought, her heart pounding. Now what? Now what? Now what? Her eyes darted frantically from Becca to Bill, then back to Becca. Suddenly, she had an idea. She bent down over Becca. She placed a knife in Becca's hand. She carefully wrapped Becca's fingers around the black handle. Honey stood up and stared at the blood-stained knife now held tightly in Becca's hand. After a few seconds, Becca opened her eyes. Honey dropped down beside her and helped her sit up. Don't worry, Honey whispered in Becca's ear. Don't worry, Becca. She cradled Becca in her arms. Groggily, Becca squinted and tried to focus, but she could only see lights, bright, shimmery lights. The room was a glimmering blur. What was happening? Why couldn't she get it in focus? Don't worry, Honey repeated gently. I'll take care of you, Becca. I'm your only friend now. I'll take care of you. Becca struggled to see clearly. She uttered a silent gasp when she saw the knife in her hand. Slowly, her eyes began to focus. Becca saw the blood-soaked blade, red and silver, red and silver. It glistens like a shiny Christmas tree ornament. Everything was glistening, sparkling in the light. The red and silver knife in her hand, the kitchen counters, the boy lying face down beside her. I'll take care of you, Becca, Honey whispered soothingly, holding on to Becca. I won't let the police know what you did. We'll make up a story, won't we, Becca? We won't let them know that you murdered Bill. Huh? Becca struggled to get up, but Honey held on, keeping her arms around Becca's shoulders, whispering soothingly in her ear. What did I do? Becca whispered. What? She stared at the red and silver knife in her hand. Then she lowered her gaze to Bill, lying so still in a dark puddle of blood. What did I do? Becca whispered. I'll tell them you did it in self-defense, Becca, Honey said softly. They won't have to know the truth. They'll never know you stabbed Bill, because I'll protect you. I'll protect you from now on, because I'm your best friend. I'm your best friend, and I'm your only friend, aren't I, Becca? Aren't I? Aren't I your best friend? Aren't I? Of course I am. I'm your best, best friend. And I will never let them know what you did to Bill. Never, never, never. Thank you, honey. Becca whispered gratefully. This has been a Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Best Friend by R. L. Stein, a Fear Street novel, Book 17. So that was The Best Friend by R. L. Stein. Holy cow, the end of this book is insane. Where do we start? Well, let's start with Honey's gaslighting Becca. Becca has a sick day, takes a day off from school. Honey goes around telling the entire school that she had a nervous breakdown when she didn't, and then she lies to Becca about it. But everybody is asking her, hey, what's going on? You know, are you okay? So that's gaslighting. There's the end of the book where Honey kills Bill, and then frames Becca for it, and then gets away with it. Holy cow. Like, why didn't anybody call for help in this book? The isolation in this book is amazing. The only person that's of any real help is Trish. Lila almost dies. Trish is the only one trying to tell Becca what to do to get help. Bill is almost useless. None of his advice pans out, and then he admits that Honey is kind of cute, 
and that she may or may not have been hitting on him? Yeah, that's creepy too. Man, this book. Cool things had happened. David Metcalf showed up. David Metcalf is my favorite Fear Street bit character. I think he gets his own novel. He shows up in Catalina Chronicles book two. He's just there. Um, he's in someone's driveway revving his engine saying, come on, let's go. My engine's going to fall out in your driveway. And he, he showed up in this at the party at the end. Man, I don't know why. I just really enjoy David Metcalf as a bit character. He seems to be everywhere. He's kind of like Lisa Bloom. Lisa's the interviewer. She's the one who works for the school newspaper. She goes around and tries to get the dirt in everybody. She's like Lois Lane. And she shows up a bunch too. But who showed up in this? Dina Martinson from Wrong Number. And she goes, hey, where's Jade? So Dina and Jade are there. That's really cool. And Dina and Jade were mentioned in The Sleepwalker. And that's really cool. So this being book 17 in the Fear Street line, it's among the top 20. And they've all done a really good job of kind of talking to each other where characters pop in and out from other stories. And you're like, cool. It makes the universe feel more realized when you see other characters show up at school. So I'm very certain that this is the book that Arl Stein said, okay, you know, this is the only bad ending I've ever written where the bad guy wins. So if you think you can do a better job of it, then go right ahead. And there was some kind of contest because I think he dared the fans to write Best Friend 2. I'm not entirely sure on that. But this is book 17 and Best Friend 2 is book 50. And there's 51 novels in the original run of Fear Street. So that's way at the end of the run. I got this from the library and I came home and I recorded it. I open the book when I get to the end, and it says there's a huge um, advertisement at the end. You know, when you finish the book, it says about the author. You know, what's the next book in the series and stuff. Don't forget these other books. And it says, The Best Friend. The Best Friend too. The book you demanded. In The Best Friend, Honey Perkins got away with murder. Now, Arlstein has chosen a winner from a nationwide contest asking readers what should happen to Honey. Honey is back, and this time she won't stop until Beckett is dead. So yeah, there was apparently a nationwide contest about this. That's pretty cool that he was able to um, to do something like that. Anyway, this was a lot of fun to read. So what should I be doing next? What do you want me to do? Uh, should I do another trilogy? Should I start a trilogy? I saw a comment. Someone said that they couldn't wait for the Fear Street Sagas trilogy. I do have to do that. I've got a lot more Super Chillers to do. I like doing Super Chillers. They're just huge, long, meaty books. They run over three hours. It takes a long time to tell that story. And I don't, again, I don't mind doing them. They're a lot of fun, but I don't want to drag it out for everybody else. I have to stick to that no less than three chapters, no more than 30 minutes kind of thing. And lately it's been no more than 30 minutes. If you've noticed, I'm giving you beefier episodes every week instead of being like, you know, a little like 22 minutes. Now you're almost 29. Upcoming projects, I do want to do a studio tour of my home studio and, and release that. It's sort of a mess. I don't know if it's ever going to be tied up completely to the to the point where I'm comfortable showing it off to everybody. It just is what it is. It's sort of a mess down here. And that's another thing. Best Friend was mainly recorded at my home studio. Then I went to my primary studio, and then I finished it at my home studio right before vacation, actually. I came home from work. I had like 45 minutes to myself where no one else was home and I'm like okay fine we're gonna punch this out and we're gonna get this done this is also the first book I have fully recorded intro outro entire book without editing a single chapter let me know what you're thinking drop me an email nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com I'm on youtube nightfallaudiobooks 
drop me a comment, like, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell whoever you think would like to listen to R.L. Stein novels read by me. So thank you very much for listening. I appreciate all your support and have a good night.